You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Genesis. And also put your thumb over to Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be starting. Genesis 2 is where we're going to be starting at. at. Um, this morning, our series is called Elephant in the Room. And um, this is a pretty big elephant in the room, y'all. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I feel the weight of this one. Um, if you don't know me, if you're, probably, if you're wondering who this uh, guy dressed like a Starbucks barista is, hey, my name's Tyler. All right, nice to meet you. Um, I'm the student pastor here at 12th Street, and it's uh, such a joy to be with you this morning. If you're gathering with us online, if uh, you were just scrolling through your Facebook feed and you stumbled upon this, you're not here by accident. None of us are here by accident. The Lord has a word for you today. All right? When we are gathered together, the Lord has a word for us today. The devaluation of marriage. I don't have to tell you that our marriages are under attack. The definition of marriage is under attack by our culture. And our culture has sought to redefine what marriage is. So many times we fall in trap to this as a culture. But here's the issue, church. I'm just going to be as frank as possible. You and I have devalued our marriages. To the married people in this room, you and I have devalued our marriages. Now you may be wondering, but Tyler... I love my husband, I love my wife, and I get that. I love my wife too. But there are times when we do not esteem our marriages to be what they are are meant to be. We take advantage of one another. We sin against one another. And so many times, we as the church, what we tend to do is we look outside of the church for our problems. We look outside of the church and we say, there's the issue. It's those liberals over there. It's those people over there. Can I tell you all something this morning? It's us in here. It is us in here. We as the church have devalued our marriages. You have devalued your marriage. I have devalued our mar- my marriage. And when I say devalue, what do I mean? I mean that once again, as I said earlier, we do not esteem our marriages to what they should be. We casually look at this good gift from the Lord and tell young people not to seek after it until they have their lives together because we look at our marriages like it's a curse sometimes, if we're being honest. That it's more of an annoyance We don't thank God enough for the marriage that God has blessed us with. And so what happens is is we look to other fountains. We look to other fountains like those fountains will satisfy us when those fountains are nothing more than cisterns full of dirty water. Now that doesn't have to just be another woman or another man. That can simply be Alabama or Auburn football. That can be any kind of idol that you have placed in your life. And right now, just before we get into this, I want to pray. I just want to pray before we dive into the Word because what we need to realize is that we need to repent of this. Let's pray really quick. God, I come before you right now as a sinner. 
someone who's guilty of the very sin that this hot topic that I'm going to talk about today from your word, I'm not worthy to proclaim this message. But Father, I find comfort in the fact that I have Jesus and that we all have Jesus. All of us in this room are guilty of sin. We are all fallen creatures. We are all broken. And God, in the midst of this room, there are teenagers, there are children who are not yet married, and I pray that this message will be an encouragement to them, that they will see marriage as the blessed gift that it truly is. I pray that moms and dads in this room will live out their marriages in such a way that their marriage will shout the gospel to their children to their neighbors, to their families, to their lost friends, to their communities. I pray that grandparents will live their marriage out in such a way that they will shout the gospel to a deaf and dying world. Father God, don't let us devalue our marriages. Don't let us look outside into the culture. Let us look within our own hearts and realize that we are the problem in our marriage. I am the problem in my marriage. God, give us grace through Jesus. Help us to see that Jesus did not come to this world to condemn it, but to save it. I pray so in Jesus' name. Amen. The reality is in this room, there are people in this room that have been divorced. There are people in this room that have been part of broken relationships. And I just want to throw this verse up on the screen really quick. John 3, 17. John 3.17, for the Son, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Nothing that is said this morning is meant to be condemning. If it is convicting, praise God. But nothing is meant to condemn. Jesus does not condemn His purchased people. This is the story of the gospel, brothers and sisters. Is that Jesus saw after the unfaithful bride. He went across the train tracks to a people that weren't supposed to be talked to and he sought you out. Praise God. That he didn't leave you in your just helplessness. That he sought you out. That's the beauty of marriage this morning. The main point of this entire message is this. Don't devalue your marriage. Let your marriage shout the gospel. And once again, there are people in this room that are single. Praise God. All right, praise God. And you may be called to singleness. If that's you, keep pursuing Jesus. All right, God has blessed you with a miraculous gift. But to the majority of us in this room, we desire to be married. We are married, have been married, used to be married. God, I pray that we let our marriages inside this church shout the gospel. You see, stats show that devout Christians marry more and divorce less. We've heard the stats for so many years that what happens is, is inside the church, the divorce rates are the same. Not necessarily. All right? Devout Christians marry more, divorce less. But listen to this. 60% of those who rarely attend church, who claim to be Christian, have been divorced. 60%. That's actually higher than the rate of the outside world. Those who rarely attend church. But those who attend church regularly, 38% have been divorced. That's still a really high number. 
Over one-third of our marriages end in divorce. And this is what's so mind-blowing. Do you know what a regular attender is inside our churches now? 1.6 times per month. times per month. That's a regular attender in our churches now, in our culture. That is astronomical that that is what we call a regular attender. But notice the tie between healthy Christian relationships and a marriage that experienced devoutness and discipleship that center around God and nominal Christian relationships in a marriage. But this is the thing. Both of these are a result of a devaluation of marriage in our current church culture, and it is here in this room this morning. But what is the root cause of this? Let's go back to the beginning. All right? This, this is a part of every counseling session. In order to figure out where the problem is, we've got to get back to the beginning. We've got to get back to the root. Okay? Genesis chapter 2. Let's get there. Verse 18 is where we're going to be starting at this morning. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, if you are any familiar with the creation story what does god do at the end of every day of creation he looks at it and what does he say what does the word say behold it was very good behold it was good this is the only time in the entire creation narrative that god says it is not good it is not good that the man should be alone and thank god for that Because it is not good that the man should be alone, that I will make a helper fit for him. Our God knows his creatures better than we know ourselves. And he looked down at Adam and he said, man, that man's lonely. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. Let's keep going. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The Lord gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up his place of flesh. In the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And listen to what, listen what Adam says. I love it. Then the man said, this at last, at last. It's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God defines marriage right there. And the man and his wife are both naked and we're not ashamed. You just experienced the first wedding ceremony in all of Scripture. That's the very first wedding ceremony in all of Scripture. God joining together the lonely man with a helper that was fit for him. I heard a pastor say that the reason why Adam was put to a deep sleep and then she was taken out of the man was because woman can't be made out of dirt. All right, man's made out of dirt. It took something a lot cleaner to make the woman. But how beautiful is this? Like, we just kind of just casually just read over this. This is beautiful. It should give us chills. I mean, literally, the father walking his created daughter down the aisle to the created son, Adam. And the joy that comes out of Adam's mouth. He literally sings over his wife. 
He sings over her. That is, I mean, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He knew the good gift that was brought to him. This is beautiful. They were naked and unashamed. Quite literally, they had no clothes. And quite figuratively, there was no sin, no struggle, no conflict. No toilet seats left up in the middle of the night. No burnt meals. It was perfect. It was as marriage, as, as intended as God made it out to be. That word for one flesh, the Hebrew word here is dode. Matt Chandler points this out in his book on, called The Mingling of Souls. That is what that word means, mingling of souls. How poetic. You are not just two bodies coming together. You are two souls coming together. You are coming together in a God-glorifying way, and it is beautiful. What this establishes is this, is that marriage is a good and perfect gift. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above, is what James says. And marriage is a good and perfect gift. I would argue that marriage is actually a mega theme of Scripture. God opens the Word with a marriage ceremony between Adam and Eve, and you go to Revelation, and guess what happens? Another marriage ceremony to wrap this bad boy up because Christ and the church are joining together. God's seeking after his unfaithful bride. This is the mega narrative of Scripture. Marriage is a good thing. Now look, I'm going to be real with you. The culture is going to tell you that it's not a good thing. I literally had a teacher when I was 16 years old tell me in my class, don't get married young kids, you're going to regret it. She's now divorced. I've literally had people tell me, Man, marriage is good at the beginning, but man, it just, it, and then it just kind of fizzles out. Listen to what the writer of Proverbs says about marriage, though. Just listen to it. I love it. Proverbs 5, 18 through 19. Let your fountain be blessed in what? Rejoice. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. That sounds like an enjoyable marriage. But that's not what we see in the church today. We don't see a lot of enjoyable marriages. We see it as a duty, not a delight. There's not a lot of rejoicing going on. In Proverbs 18.22, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and finds favor with the Lord. Marriage is a good and perfect gift this morning. That spouse that is sitting beside you is a good and perfect gift this morning. They may get on your nerves. They may grind your gears. They may get on your everlasting loving nerve that you just feel like you can't even take it anymore. I promise you, it's better than not being married. God saw it fit in his sovereignty to join you two together. Don't take advantage of this good and perfect gift. It was a good and perfect gift to Adam and Eve. It is a good and perfect gift to you. But you may look at me and say, Tyler, you don't know my wife. She nags me. You may say, Tyler, you don't know my husband. He doesn't do anything around the house. I do everything. Let me tell you who knows them, though. Jesus. Jesus knows your spouse and loves them. Jesus has blessed your marriage. And he is calling you to something deeper.
Don't devalue your marriage. Let your marriage shout the gospel, brothers and sisters. Now, as we know in the Genesis story, this isn't how it stays. You go to Genesis 3.16. It says, To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. Thanks, Eve. All right. In pain you shall bring forth children. And listen to the sin that comes into marriage right here. It's heartbreaking. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Ray Ortland says about this passage, Here then is the ultimate reason for our broken promises, our shouting matches, our resentments, our abuses, our separations, our divorces, and all types of marital tragedies. God gave us up to the power of our own sinful confusion. These sad words he declared in Genesis 3.16 predict our cycle of dysfunction whenever a wife steps in to fill the void created by her husband's failure to care and provide. With the husband resenting his wife for the implied criticism of his own passivity and silently or aggressively punishing her for it. Each one aggravates the weakness of the other as they spiral down into a mutual incomprehension, bitterness, and alienation. Both defiant feminism and arrogant patriarchy fall short of the glory of Eden. And we husbands and wives will never get ourselves back to the garden by pointing an accusing finger at each other. We will never return in that. Brothers and sisters, this is the root. This is where it started. This is where every conflict is rooted. Now, if you go back at the start of this, this good gift that Adam was singing over, that he, this is that last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, when he takes the fruit of his wife, he immediately throws her in front of the speeding bus called God. It was this woman you gave me. It was this woman. It wasn't me. It was her. Can I just say this, men? We love to blame Eve, but brothers, it was Adam. He passively stood by his wife's side. It doesn't say Adam walked across the garden and gave the fruit to Adam. No, it says this, that she turned to her husband. Her husband was standing there letting his wife be deceived and letting her ears be just tempted by the twisted word of God. That is what Satan did to his wife, and Adam let it happen. And that is what we do as well, brothers, when we are passive, when we are silent, when we do not lead our wives well. Adam had every opportunity to say, that's not what God said. That's not what God said. But Adam was tempted as well and led his wife astray. And now we fight. And now we struggle. Now, I don't know about y'all. I'm just going to be real with you. I don't get along with my wife all the time. Can I just be transparent with y'all really quick? She's watching online right now. So, like, we don't get along all the time. Okay, like, I heard a pastor, really big-name pastor, say one time that he and his wife never fight, and I was like, oh, they live in different houses. Because, listen, you take two broken people, you throw them inside a house together, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be some conflict. And it ain't going to be pretty all the time. I mean, literally, I just I told Thomas this weekend, I was like, man, me and my wife, like, we have some conflict. 
And I'm preaching on the devaluation of marriage today, this week. Isn't it funny how God does that? So if this is the root, can we just have some honest conversations really quick? Just have some honest conversations. I just need your undivided attention just for a few minutes. To the men in this room, brother, I love you. I may not know you personally, but I genuinely mean this. I love you. And I want what's best for you. And we at this church want what's best for you. First, do not disrespect your wife as if she is something lesser than you. There is no more condemning sin than that. When we look at our wives and view her as a lesser creature. God has given men the unique place as the head of the household. He says this in 1 Corinthians 11. This is Paul speaking. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of a wife is, a, is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. God has given us a unique opportunity. But that does not mean that you get to domineer and abuse your wife. That does not mean that you get to take advantage of her. That does not mean you have every right to be her, just her Lord. That's Jesus' position. Brothers, fight against that sin. God has knit you two together. Treat her as she is meant to be treated, as a daughter of the king, and speak the gospel to her. Repent to her. Run to Jesus with her. Cling to your wife. There is nothing on a computer screen that can fulfill you like your wife can. There is nothing that you can search on the internet that you can keep from her that can satisfy you like your wife can. And to the single brothers in this room, fight, run. To the younger brothers in this room, fight, run. If you're losing right now, let us come alongside you as the church because your marriage is worth it. And every time you Google whatever website you go to, you are cheating on your future spouse. And brother, if you're married, you are cheating on your spouse. You need to repent to her, you need to run to her, and you need to run to Jesus with her. And quite frankly, there's no other woman in your life that can satisfy you like your wife can. Even in the worst of it. God has knit you together in His sovereignty so that you can build sanctification together. Marriage is not there to make you happy. It's there to make you holy. And as we fight, and as we struggle, and as we go to Jesus together, don't look away from her. Look to Jesus with her. Lead her to Jesus. Speak the gospel to her because she needs it just as much as you do. Don't devalue your marriage, brother. To the sisters in this room, same thing. I love you. I genuinely want what's best for you. This church wants what's best for you. Do not treat your husband as he is less than you. Respect him. Serve him. As I said earlier, you may say, Tyler, you don't know my husband. You don't know the looks that he gives to women in public. You don't know what he does. Jesus does, and Jesus loves him. And you should too. And we as the church can come alongside you. We can help you. We can be there for you. There is no other fantasy relationship that can satisfy you in the way your husband can.
no other man can. God has knit you together as one flesh. No matter what your friend posts on social media and you think that their marriage is so put together, I promise you, number one, it ain't. And I promise you, number two, God has joy for you if you seek after him with your husband. Run to Jesus together. I have a challenge for you, all right? I have a challenge for you. To the husbands, I want you to do this. This this week, today, when you leave here, even right now, look at your wife. Just look at her. Just, Just look at her. Notice how her hair falls on her shoulders. Notice how her clothes fit on her. Notice her eyes. Notice the things that drew you to her. Remember those things and embrace her. Now, you ain't got to do that right now, all right? Wait, all right? You can wait on that. But embrace her. Let her know how you feel about her. Tell her that you love her and that you care for her and that Jesus desires her heart. Speak the gospel over her. To the women in this room, same challenge. Look at your husband. Look at, look, look at him with the eyes that you used to when you guys first got together. Some of us have been married in this room 50 plus years. Some of us, like me, have been married less than five. Look at your husband with the eyes that you used to. Notice his hands. Hold his hand. All right? We encourage that in the church. Hold his hand. Notice the way his hands feel when he embraces you. Notice his smile. Notice the way that he plays with your children. And let him know how you feel about him. Tell him that you love him. Don't devalue your marriage. Shout the gospel with your marriage. Now you may be wondering, why do I keep saying shout the gospel? It's because of this. Ephesians chapter 5. Flip there if you have your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5. This is the truth of the matter, brothers and sisters. The gospel is the pathway back to a God-glorifying marriage. This is what's so mind-blowing to me. Ray Ortland pointed this out in his book, and it's absolutely phenomenal. It's on marriage and the gospel. If you want it, I have one copy in my office. I will give it to you, all right? Come find me. First one to claim it's this yours, okay? I will give it to you completely for free. I'll order me another copy. If you want more, I'll keep buying them. I don't care. It's that great of a book. Ray Ortland points us out that our marriages are a remnant of Eden. Have you ever thought about that? Like, I've never thought about that. But this is so beautiful to me. That when God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, out of his presence forever, they got to keep one thing, and that was each other. He didn't remove that. Literally, our marriages hearken back to Eden. Why? Because our marriages are meant to be a gospel proclamation. This mystery of all of this, of one soul being joined together, is solved through Jesus Christ and His church. Let's look at Ephesians 5, all right? Sorry, in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and his himself its Savior. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also as wives should submit everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with a word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Now Paul, once again, goes back to Genesis 2. It's the root. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. He literally says, this mystery is profound. It's a mystery. But then he gives the answer to the mystery. I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. Therefore, a man shall leave his wife, leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. Paul gives you the answer right there. The gospel is meant to be proclaimed in our marriages. Pete Scazzaro, who's a pastor in Newark, in his book, The Emotionally Unhealthy Leader, he talks about how leaders need to have healthy marriages because our marriages are serious and real gospel proclamations. That means that even when unbelievers get married, it is a symbol of the gospel. Now, do you realize that? God has blessed marriage in such a way that even in the common grace that when a man and a woman join, they are, it's a symbol of Christ in the church. How beautiful is that? Does your marriage shout the gospel? This passage lays out how we can return back to a picture of an Edenic marriage, of how this perfect remnant. Now, that doesn't mean that your marriage is going to be perfect, brothers and sisters, when you come to Jesus. If you're lost in this room, I promise you, I'm on this side of the cross, my marriage ain't perfect. But man, we fight, and we, we, we get going, and we push one another, and we try to outdo one another in honor, and we fight uh, with, with one another and towards one another to get to Jesus. But man, marriage is beautiful most of the time. It is beautiful. The joy that comes with the marriage, the happiness, the sanctification, the laughter, having somebody constantly there. Do you see how this is Christ in the church? Jesus is constantly there for us. He never leaves nor forsakes us. And having somebody there, man, it's beautiful. A marriage that is self-sacrificing to one another is a picture of the gospel. I've been told so many times in my life, a relationship's give and take, Tyler. A relationship's give and take. A relationship's give and take, Tyler. A relationship's give and take. Can I just go ahead and say that's bull malarkey? Like, seriously? If there's take in your relationship, brother, sister, repent. There should be in our relationships 100 percent give 100 percent and when there's not this is what i do when i'm not 100 giving i look at jesus who is 100 giving all the time and realize man i need jesus because jesus 100 gave of himself we should go to bed at night exhausted at the fact that we 100 gave gave ourselves to one another That's the kind of striving I want in my marriage. Give, give, give of myself. Because that's what Jesus did. And that is what we should all want.
So what does Paul, what does Paul tell us? Wives, submit to your husband. Serve him. Now, this is not just some kind of like, you know, submissiveness that makes you lesser than. No, this is submissiveness that is serving. This is what Matthew Henry says about the creation of Eve. And live in light of this. This is beautiful. That the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. That's what a wife is called to do. To be loved into love. To serve, to be equal with. The woman is not the lesser creature. We are equal in the eyes of God. Husbands, love your wife like Jesus loved the church. Serve her and give your life for her. This is the key to not devaluing your marriage. Give your life for your wife. Lay down your wife every day. Strive, fight, move forward, and go to Jesus together. And husbands, lead your wife to Jesus. Wives, lead your husband to Jesus. And let's, as a church, let our marriages shout the gospel. Your marriage can be a proclamation of the gospel today, if you allow it to be. Live in light of that truth. Ray Ortland, in his book, once again, I keep using this guy because it's phenomenal. If you are married, even if your marriage is some way disappointing to you, still, God was the one who joined you two together. Your imperfect marriage in the world of today is as sacred in the sight of God as was the perfect marriage between Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Your marriage is a grace from above. Your marriage is a miracle. Your marriage came to you with the touch of God upon it, and it remains dear to Him. Your marriage has the potential, by His grace, to bring redemption into the broken world we all live in now. Your imperfect marriage, therefore, is worth celebrating. Jesus thought so. Jesus thought so. So in closing, this is what I want to do. I want us to enter into a time of prayer for our marriages. We constantly look to the outside as if that's where the problem with marriage is, that the cultures redefine marriage. Brothers and sisters, the problem is that we've devalued our marriages. So as in this time of prayer, I want us to, our church, to be an example of what biblical marriage looks like. And if you don't know what that looks like, seek someone out. Older couples in this room, find a younger couple to pour into and learn from. Younger couples in this room, find an older couple to learn from and to pour into. We need one another. There are people that have like went before us and, and treaded the path. We need one another. We need to listen to one another. We need to strive together. Single people who are desiring marriage in this room, find a couple to pray with, to be discipled by, and seek Jesus in this time of singleness. God will provide. He provided for Adam, he will provide for you. To the widowed in this room, tell the goodness of your marriage to anyone who would listen. Tell the goodness. Proclaim the gospel through it. To the divorced people in this room, there is redemption at the cross of Christ. There is redemption at the cross of Christ. You are not too far gone. Jesus forgives he forgives and he blesses marriage.
to those of you who have a broken marriage in this room, the gospel is the key to redeeming your marriage. Jesus knows your hearts and He wants what's best for you. And what's best for you is Him. Jesus is what's best for you. Seek after Him. Strive after Him. Fight for Him. And if you need help, if you feel like your marriage is too devalued that it's so far gone, brothers and sisters, seek out. We're here. We're here to walk alongside you. Don't devalue our marriages here in this church. Let our marriages at 12th Street shout the gospel to a world who needs Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for the gift of marriage, for the blessing that it is to me to have someone to walk through this life hand in hand, seeking Jesus together, raising children up to be arrows to be shot into the kingdom of darkness. God, I pray over everyone in this room. Everyone has a different story. Everyone has a different view of marriage. But God, my prayer is that we don't view our marriage through the brokenness of this world, but we view our marriages through the sureness and the steadiness of the rock that is Jesus. That we view our marriages as the blessing that they are, that your word tells us that is so sure, that is so steadfast and true. Father God, I pray over every marriage in this room, every future marriage that is coming down the pot. For the ones who are broken, God, there is healing and it is found at the foot of the cross. Father, help us to seek after you. And I pray this on Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet. And we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.